Welcome to the studio. Could thank, you, thank uh, you could you just take a moment to describe to all of our listeners our very professional recording studio? Well, we're at our dining room table, which is also the living room, which is also the kitchen. And we have our microphones popped up on the boxes that they store in because they're too short. Do you already have your jammies on? No, I don't. Actually, does this look like my jammies? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But it would be appropriate because it's... It's night. It's bedtime. It's, it's past bedtime. It's past my bedtime. It's mm-hmm. 830 at night. The kids are all in bed. And how do you feel right now? I feel about like I do at 830 every night, which is done. Completely Exhausted. spent. Exhausted. I just wanted to kind of make sure that everyone understands why our podcast is so bad. <laughs> because we do it when our kids are asleep. Um, we learned that tip from our friends, Corey and Katie of mm-hmm. this house podcast. And, um, and so if it's bad, it's because we are tired, we're exhausted, uh, but we're um, trying to have some fun here. <laughs> trying. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about autism because it's April, which is Autism Awareness Month. And as, of course, if you don't know already, and you'll find out in this episode, we have a child on the autism spectrum. So this is episode three. Welcome to Gospel Life. The podcast of Gospel Life Global Missions. I'm Stacy Lee Hutchins. And I'm Josh Hutchins, and this is the Gospel Life podcast from Gospel Life Global Missions. And today we're not talking as much about global missions like we usually do. We're talking about something else that is important in our lives, and that is autism for Autism Awareness Month, the month of April. So for all of our listeners out there, I know everyone has heard the term autism, whether that's from news reports. There's always like some heart-wrenching story about a child with autism that's done some amazing thing uh, that's featured on the nightly news or parenthood had Max who Mm, was on the autism spectrum. Brought us to tears every time. So people are somewhat familiar with autism, even if it's more stereotypical reaching back, of course, uh, to Rain Man was probably the first major character with autism on a movie or or television but that so the there's a stereotypical understanding from the media but what is autism well i generally try to explain it to people that there are kind of three main parts to autism there's communication social and behavioral and it's it's a spectrum even within those three parts so some kids may be higher functioning with their communication but have more behavioral struggles or more social struggles and some kids may have um 
not have very many behavioral challenges, but the social stuff is really hard for them and communication is almost non-existent. So that's why you hear people say, if you've met one kid with autism, then you've met one kid with autism because it can look so different. Yeah. And part of the answer to this question, what is autism? Part of the answer is we don't know what it is. Really all this label autism is, is in the DSM, the diagnostic and statistical manual that psychologists use is it's a category of symptoms. Mm -hmm. And there's those three main uh, aspects of the symptoms that you mentioned communication. uh, A lot of times they, they're nonverbal or they have difficulty talking or communicating social they don't pick up on social cues or or have difficulty in social relationships and then certain behavioral uh patterns like repetitive behaviors Mm -hmm. and um kind of the more stereotypical is flapping hands and and that type of thing but all those things are symptoms of of something or multiple things or multiple causes and we don't know everything behind that so we have put all these similar things into this bucket, so to speak, that's called autism. Um, And that's why there's such a variety in people who have autism because it's it's kind of this big umbrella term for something we really don't know too much about yet. Yeah, they're learning so much. And I really do believe that in the future there will be specific diagnoses under autism, don't right. you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, one of the big questions right now is what causes autism? And we won't get into that uh, in detail, but uh, we're, we're scientists are zeroing in on that, mm-hmm. but it's looking like it's not going to be one cause. Um, like it's not just genetics or it's not just uh, this one thing like vaccines is on, in the news a lot. It's not just one thing, but it's a multiplicity of possibilities that that create um, the circumstances in which people have autism. A lot of contributing factors. Yeah. And so once we're able to zero in on those factors, then it may be that we relabel things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now we just have this general label of autism spectrum disorder. We thought we would start out um, just kind of talking about our experience with Jude's diagnosis and the things that we saw in him. So, mm-hmm. so Jude, is born in 2009 mm-hmm. and um, just normal baby first time parents and um, and so we were excited and when's the first looking back of course everything mm-hmm. is 2020 or a, yeah well maybe not maybe not <laughs> Because still, there's a lot of times we'll watch videos of Jude when he's younger and we'll have forgotten certain things that he did and uh, different things. So your memory's not 2020. Yeah. But now we know some of the things we were concerned about, why we were concerned about them. Mm -hmm. So what's one of the first things that we noticed about Jude that was different? I remember 
Um, so we were, we were living in a house in Moldova. We were house sitting for a a missionary family there in Moldova. And I remember having this issue with him constantly wanting to go up the stairs and it wasn't Mm -hmm. safe for him to do that. And so I would always have to tell him no and get him down and, and we would Skype with our parents. How old was he at this time? Um, he was between one and one and a half, yeah. I think. And I would get him down and go get him. And we would Skype with our parents almost every day. And I remember Skyping with my mom and her saying, you need to spank him. So he learns. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her, I just really don't think he understands when I tell him no. Yeah. And I, in retrospect, that conversation sticks out as... He just, he didn't understand. And now since we've had Abe and he just turned two, there have been so many things, milestones that I've seen him hit that I realize, wow, this was evident even earlier than we realized. Yeah, I I was thinking when I asked you that question, I was thinking, of course, we had several friends who had babies like right within months of Mm -hmm. us. And I remember seeing while we were in Moldova, but seeing on Facebook and things, all the little baby tricks that our friends' children would do, things they would repeat or sing or animal noises. Patty cake, animal noises. Oh, I tried for forever to get Jude to repeat, to learn animal noises. That's one of the first things you teach them, I feel like. Yeah, and and we he just wouldn't do it. And of course, at that point, we're thinking every child's different. Mm -hmm. Every child is just different reacts differently, develops differently. It wasn't that big of a concern, but looking back, it's more clear now that there was more going on than just his personality or something like that. Yeah. And we were also, he was exposed to three different languages as a baby and toddler too. And we had several people telling us, and I was reading that people who are babies who are exposed to multiple languages, they tend to understand and speak later. But then when they do start speaking, they can speak all of them. Yeah. And so we kind of thought that maybe that was happening. Yeah. And you, you, I remember in this process uh, of beginning to be concerned, there's so many people who will tell you things like, well, I had a nephew's kid or, you know, some distant family member who didn't say a word till he was four and now he won't shut up, you know? Yeah. And, And so there's all these like stories that people give you to kind of encourage you, but... On the other hand, it kind of throws you off for a Mm -hmm. little bit in really looking at what's going on. So we were in Moldova, and and this is part of our story of calling to global missions. And you can go back to, I guess that was episode one, where we talked a little bit about this. But we came back um, to the United States in part to get Jude figured out what's going on with him. Yeah. Uh, So we moved to Louisville. And we began in what Kentucky calls first steps. I don't know what they call it in other states, but it's a program called first steps for early children. intervention, early program. intervention. Yeah. 
And um, we had a psychologist, great psychologist, Dr. Lisa, who came and worked with him for a while. And then uh, one day sat down with us with her diagnosis, Mm -hmm. which was autism spectrum disorder. So just take me back to sitting in our little apartment at Village Manor in Louisville, for those of you who are familiar with Frankfurt (laughs) Avenue in Louisville. Um, and getting that diagnosis. By the time we got to that point, I mean, it was, he was between one and one and a half when we started suspecting something. And he was two and a half by the time we got that diagnosis. And for me, by the time she said, this is what it is, for one, there really wasn't a question in my mind by that point. For me, it just was, like, okay, now we can move forward with this. Like yeah, now we can this has a name now. We we can do something about it. Right. We can get him the help he needs now that yeah. we have this diagnosis. So it wasn't I know I know a lot of parents describe that moment of diagnosis as this horrible emotional thing that they go through. And I, I can understand why, but I think we had just, we knew it for so long. It was just an affirmation at yeah, that point. But we had gone through that earlier, I guess, as we were coming to that realization. Slowly, yeah. Um, before he had the official diagnosis. I mean, what you have going on inside of you is you have certain expectations mm-hmm. as a parent for what parenthood's going to be like, for what having a, a son is going to be like. And then those expectations are suddenly shifted and changed. Uh, when you realize that you have a child with a disability, whether that's a hidden disability. Uh, what I mean by that is a disability that you can't just look at someone and see well, that they're not in a wheelchair uh, or is not just visual. Like there's a, something inside, inside their brain and their body that um, that's a disability, or if it's a, it's something you can see either way, you had expectations for that child to be quote unquote normal. And now they're not. Yeah. And your expectations have to change. Um, so, so that's difficult. But on the other hand, like you said, we now had a name for it. We now knew what we were up against and, um, what we needed to do to help Jude. Yeah. So what has, through the years, how old was Jude when he was finally diagnosed? Two and a half. Two and a half. So now he's nine years old. Yeah. So seven years of knowing that we were parenting a child with autism. What's been helpful for him? I would say the number one most helpful thing that we've done is diet. Yeah. Um, when we, I first, first it was dairy free in Moldova, even before we knew this, remember we found out that, um, we, we spent a week in the Northern camp and we didn't have any dairy that whole week that we were up in the Northern camp Mm -hmm. just because they didn't prepare us any food with dairy in it. And 
he had a really good week. And then that last, no, it was two weeks, wasn't it? Yeah, we were there for two weeks. We were there for two weeks. And the last day we were there, the camp director took us to his house and showed all the kids uh, his animals and then got all the kids some ice cream. And it was really bad for several. He had really bad digestive issues and just screamed and cried. And, and then couldn't horrible. sleep that night. He, didn't sleep. he always had a lot of sleep issues, which he still does to a degree. But yeah, um, a lot of it was it, it got a little bit better after we took him off of dairy. It got a lot better. I yeah. remember it, it was overnight. He was suddenly playing by himself for the first time ever. Yeah. And not crying so much he not just so had clingy. been hurting yeah uh for a long time because of what dairy, dairy did to his stomach and then we took yeah. that away and he felt better and then after that it was gluten and then we took him off gluten um yeah shortly after his diagnosis and he made some big strides then too i felt mm-hmm. like it cleared his mind a lot and then slowly through the years i We've cut back on his sugar intake, realizing that he has more more digestive issues than we realized, which is super common with kids with autism. Which one of the things that is just really interesting and we don't have a full handle on uh, yet is that there is this body brain connection Mm-hmm. Um, that is connected to your diet, that's connected to the the, the bacteria, good and bad, that is in, in, your, your in your gut and, and how the food interacts with that. And so all of this is connected with autism. And then on top of that, children with autism or adults with autism don't absorb vitamins and minerals as efficiently as someone without autism. And so that taxes the cells mm-hmm. in a in the entire body, uh, which the book you have right there is really good at kind of explaining all of this. This book is incredible. I think I wish I had read this book when he was first diagnosed. But it wasn't written yet. Well, no, but so. I still wish. it. The book we're talking about is called The Autism Revolution, Whole Body Strategies for Making Life All It Can Be. And it's written by um, Martha Herbert with Karen Weintraub. And I'm not sure... I think she was probably the ghostwriter that made it more readable for <laughs> normal people. But but um, this is what I want to add is that it's in a series that's the Harvard Health Publication Series. So there's a lot of wacky books out there about autism. And we have we read have some read of, all them of them and, yeah. uh, and been helped by some of them. But this isn't one of those. This is a Harvard publication. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's at the top of the class of, of the science and the treatment of autism. The woman who wrote it, she's an MD and a PhD and... Um, just a researcher and scientist and teacher. But and she she talks a lot about this body-brain interaction and how it affects people on a cellular level mm-hmm. um, and all the various um, components that go into autism uh, in a really helpful 
way. Super helpful. Super helpful. And I feel like as we talk about things, this book and and things that we've tried that have been helpful, um, I feel like there are kind of two schools of thought on this in the autism community. There are the the moms who really go after all of these cures and fixes and, mm-hmm. and things. And, and then there are the people who feel like, well, this is just another part of neurodiversity and we should celebrate autism and stop trying to fix our, our kids. Because people with autism have a unique way of, of looking at the world, the world yeah. and they have something to contribute to society. Right. Uh, but I think we would agree that that both of those have elements of truth to them. Right. Like people with autism, like you went just a, a month or two ago and heard Temple Grandin speak I did. at the University of Tennessee at Martin. And, um, and she's an incredible person with autism who's done incredible things in her field of agriculture because she looks at her world differently right. than neurotypical people. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yes, people with autism have something to contribute, but at the same time, people with autism also are, are suffering yeah. from their their bodies hurting their their digestive issues their you know the the struggle to communicate all these things are difficult and we need to help them reach out of that so that they can make the contribution that that we want them to make to our society. Exactly. We're not trying to change them or really even fix them. And that's why I like the byline on this book so much whole body strategies for making life all it can be. That's what we're trying to do for our kids. So for example, when you're out in public and there's a child throwing a tantrum at Chick-fil-A, which has been us before. <laughs> um, and you maybe you can tell the child is on the autism spectrum, or maybe you can't. Uh, but before you utter your words of judgment or even your stares of judgment, um, just a, assuming that child has autism, why is that child throwing a tantrum in that moment? Yeah. And, and there are so many, um, well, that was a question. Oh, for me? Yeah. Oh, um, there, there can be so many reasons. But I think the main thing um, that we experienced was there's something that child wants to communicate. That they can't. That they can't. Yeah. And they're frustrated. Um, so I mean, that- you can imagine what it would be like, especially for kids who are nonverbal or who have a lot, of, maybe are verbal, but struggle mm-hmm. you can imagine how frustrating well, that this, would be everyone's experienced that who's had a toddler like they have <laughs> thoughts in their brain that are beyond their ability to communicate and if they feel like they're not getting it through to you then they, they throw, throw a tantrum a uh, the difference is with autism that that doesn't always go away Right. Because they never grow in their ability to communicate to the degree that they need to. Yeah. Um, And so there's an example of something that 
if we can help our children to communicate, right? then we have bettered their lives and we have also enabled them to make the contribution that people with all various viewpoints can make to our world. Yeah. So in therapy, what has been the most helpful for Jude? ABA therapy has been amazing for him. Um, We had a fantastic therapist very early on who got us set up with this system called ABLES. I think it's A-B-L-L-S. I have Um, no idea. Anyway, it's this really specific curriculum, if you will. Uh, they, They... rank how they do in all these different areas. And then you kind of start to build on those things. And it's very specific, all these very specific tasks that you have them do. Um, and, and I know there are some autism parents who don't like that. They feel like it's. Well, ABA therapy can have a bad reputation when it's very strict because it's, it's reward based. Yeah. So it's, it can be caricatured as like training a dog. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it gets a bad rap. And you just, I think you can do it in a way that is dehumanizing like that, but yeah. you don't have to do it. No. And way. we've been blessed with wonderful therapists and helpers that loved, have loved Jude and, and have worked so hard to help him. And, and he has come so far through that curriculum. He's made strides. I didn't, no, he could make. I wasn't yeah. confident he could make. He's getting a lot more comfortable with words just in general yeah. through the ABA therapy and the ABLES curriculum. He can now label over a hundred objects. Yeah. Like with a word. And he's begun <laughs> which is to, amazing. And he's begun to do that spontaneously. Yeah. Like like a few weeks ago when we were on the Ohio River. And um, there were ducks, tons of ducks on the river. He started saying chicken, chicken, (laughs) chicken. It's a little off. And we talked about, no, those are ducks. And he said ducks when they went back to chicken. But he was labeling. Yeah. The amazing thing was that he was saying anything. Yeah. uh, Which for so long he hasn't. Yeah. Or like the other day at your parents' house when we got out the kites and he immediately stopped and said, Kite. Yeah. He's, this is new and exciting and huge. And he's doing, um, he loves the flashcards. He, Mm -hmm. he loves flashcards and he'll just go through those and say all of them. Yeah. And it's exciting because, you know, if, yes, he's nine, but in terms of his communication, he's doing things that are, are one year old. Uh, yeah. level, but he's finally doing those yeah. things. Yeah. So if he can get to the point, you know, where you have a, a toddler or, or a older baby who's just, you're all the time labeling everything in their evi- environment. That's Dog. what Abe's doing right now. He yeah. points to everything and wants Cat. to label it. Yeah. And so that's where Jude's at now, yeah. which means there's the promise and the hope that he will continue to build on that, just like Abe is yeah. he, at a younger age, he's going to continue to build on that until he can talk, hopefully, in sentences and yeah. and even more. So that's super exciting. And with the... Uh, the but let me... Okay. Go I ahead. keep interrupting you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. But I, 
let, I feel like I don't want somebody to get the wrong picture though. Just because Jude is communicating at the level of a one-year-old or a two-year-old, does that mean that he has the mental capacity of a one-year-old or two-year-old? I don't think so. Not at all. I think one thing that I've really learned and something else that I don't know that I could at this point put it in our list of helpful things, but I think in has the potential to be one of the most helpful things we've done. We're just learning it and getting started with it right now is a method called rapid prompting method, RPM. And it's a a method of communicating by spelling words on a letter board. And uh, it looks very promising. And there are a lot of kids who are complete kids and adults who are completely nonverbal, who are learning to communicate really advanced, mature, deep thoughts through that. They, they can't do anything, but they can type or they can spell and they have fully coherent, mature books, books of poetry, which goes against the stereotype of autism that they're very linear thinkers, they're very into math and science. Mm -hmm. And, but you put something emotional in front of them, like literature is just going to go right over their heads. But no, these, these people are writing in poetry full of feeling. Mm -hmm. They're having discussions about great works of literature that are deep and and that are important. Um, And you actually, to learn this method, went to Austin, Texas Mm -hmm. and worked with a woman named Soma who... Muko Padhey, yay. It's an Indian last name that we can't pronounce, (laughs) but... I'm sure Soma. we'll put the links in the in the show notes. Um, but Soma developed this method for her own son named Tito, and he he's, has written several books. He's an adult in his twenties now. Yeah, yeah, and he's written several books, some of poetry, some uh, kind of biography mm-hmm. and short stories, and um, and it's all because his mother knew that there was more in him that he just wasn't able to have an avenue to get out. Yeah. And that's, that's what I wanted to make the point of with Jude, the communication through his lips, through his speech, that may be at a one-year-old or two-year-old point, but he is, I'm fully believe a nine-year-old inside. inside. Yeah. And we do our best to talk to him and about him when he can hear uh, like a typical nine-year-old, yeah. you know, it's so easy. And I, I find myself doing it too. It's so easy to talk about him like he's not in the room yeah, or in a way that you wouldn't talk about a kid, a neurotypical kid. Yeah. And a lot of these kids who have used rapid prompting method or other methods um, to communicate, one of the things that they have communicated is they really felt bad about being treated as less than than their age or less than intelligent, even though they couldn't communicate until they learned that method. Um, And so they were always there. They were always aware of what was going on, even when it didn't look like they were focused. Yeah. They were aware of the things that were being said to them and about them. Yeah. 
that's that's what our biggest I think potential helper. We're still learning it, working on it. I'm having a hard time being consistent with the lessons, but um, but that's something life. to work on. Yeah, that is life. Yeah, I would say the only other thing to add to your list is, and, and this is where I want to be more consistent because we haven't done it all winter. But running has been great for Jude. Mm-hmm. Um, just the physical exercise specifically, we like to trail run because it's safer than running along the side of the road, but, um, but just getting his body moving helps yeah. him have a clarity of mind, just like it helps any of us have a clarity of mind yeah. whenever we are physically fit and exercising the way we should. And one more thing we haven't made much time for lately, but I think second to diet is probably our biggest wow has been chelation. Yeah. He did not use the potty at all until we started chelation. And now... Explain to our listeners who may not know what the word chelation means. We all have heavy metals that we're exposed to in normal life. It's in our food. It's in the soil. it, It just... It's in our environment. And most people's bodies are able to process that and flush it out at a consistent rate. Um, but the some of the cellular problems uh, in an autistic person's body, they're not able to process that and flush it out. And so it accumulates and causes a lot of problems. And so um, there's this Andy Cutler chelation method that I came across at some point. And he has a book um, that I cannot remember the name of right now. I think it's Fight Autism and When. Um, Anyway, he has this very specific chelation protocol that you give this medicine. One of the medicines is every three hours. One of the medicines is every six hours. It's really a supplement. It's not a medication or prescribed medication. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's a supplement you can buy online. Um, it's not a medicine, but it's a, it's a gentle chelator and you give a low dose of it every three hours for 72 hours at a time. And it just helps to slowly and safely pull those heavy metals out of the body. And it's been huge. I feel like Every time we do a round of that, a 72-hour round of chelation, we see huge gains afterward. Yeah. And life has been crazy this last year, and we've not made a lot of time for it. And it's hard because you're up every three hours, even in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, But... It's made it. It makes a huge difference yeah. for him. Yeah, and like you, you said, he did not use the potty at all. At all until we started doing this when yeah. he was how old? Probably like seven or something. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, he began going to the bathroom. And regularly. even now that we've had longer lapses between rounds because we've been so busy, he'll start to regress with his pottying yeah. and then we'll do a round and he'll be back to, to pottying regularly. Yeah. If we could tell our younger selves from the time he was diagnosed or even when we started suspecting something was not quite right, if we could tell ourselves anything, what would it be? Okay. I've got 
two things, which kind of goes against the rules of the question. <laughs> it kind of sounded like I could only have one, but I have two things. That's okay. And the, the first thing is something that someone actually told me fairly early on, but I wish I had known it the entire time. So I forget who told me this, but it was a parent of a child with a disability, maybe autism, maybe something different. But when you have a child with a disability like autism, it is a process of repetitive grief. Mm -hmm. So there are things in our lives, events, one-time events that happen and you grieve over that trauma or that bad thing that happened. But with a child that has a disability, you never you you never fully get beyond it because you you have that initial shock of a diagnosis or an accident or whatever happens and you go through that grief process but then a couple of years later you're looking at a child who's now 4 years old and they're in a classroom in Sunday school or whatever with other children who are 4 years old and you see differences that are even more than mm-hmm. before and you grieve again or there's there's all these little things little um you know stepping stones or or milestones of of achievement in children's lives that your child is missing yeah and you go through that grief process over and over and over again you do and um i don't want that to be depressing because it wasn't depressing for me. It was very helpful to to understand this is what I'm going through. Yeah. When these moments are coming and they're going to keep coming and I've got to be prepared for them and mm-hmm. I've got to know what to tell myself in those moments because it's it's just what it is. You keep going through it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. The second thing is much more practical. And it's something I didn't think about or know about until the last few months. And that is um, financial planning for your child with special needs. Oh, yeah. You've been all about this. Yes. So um, we all hope that our children, especially with autism, will one day be able to live independent lives with jobs and be able to support themselves and take care of themselves, maybe with some help from family and things. But, um, but the reality is none of us know, especially when they're young, how far they're going to get in living independently. Yeah. And the truth is that Jude to talk about ourselves, he could live with us the rest of our lives and then live with one of his siblings the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And we should have been planning more for that possibility. And even though we are missionaries, poor missionaries, (laughs) uh, there are opportunities for us to make those plans. And there's two things. Uh, If you have a child with autism, there are two possibilities for you. One is a special needs trust that is set up for if you or your spouse dies, you can have, for example, your life insurance go into that trust to take care of your child for the rest of his or her life. 
Hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of details and I'm not a financial planner, but, um, that's one possibility. The second possibility, and this is really cool. Uh, we're all familiar as parents with 529 college savings accounts. So different States have these 529 plans where you can save money and you can invest it and it grows tax-free in these plans. And then as long as you spend it on qualified education choices, like college tuition, then you never get taxed on the money. They have finally created in the last few years a 529 plan for children with special needs. And it's called an ABLE plan. And different states have different options. You don't have to uh, invest in the one in your state, but you can begin to put away a little bit of money and it will grow tax-free and your child will be able to spend it on their personal needs to support themselves for years Hmm. and years to come. So it's a really great thing that um, Congress enacted in the last couple of years. But anyways, I know there's a lot of people who aren't thinking about that because they have a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old. And the truth is you, you've you got to be ready for all possibilities. So I wish I had known about this stuff earlier. Yeah. How about you, your answer to that question? My... I've I've pondered this question for a while since we talked about we were going to record this podcast and I feel like the the most helpful thing that I would tell myself is just that it's going to be okay. Mm. Um just that it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And not to give up. Mm. And I didn't know I was going to cry. <laughs> um, not to beat myself up over hard days. Yeah. I need to tell my current self that too. <laughs> um, that's what I would tell myself. Yeah. It's okay because it doesn't define Jude. Like yeah. aut- autism. Jude is so much more than autism. Yeah. And, um, and we as a family are so much more than a family with a child with autism. And so it's, it, it's going to keep going and and we're going to be okay. And, um, it's all part of God's plan. You remember a couple weeks ago, it was Easter or maybe three weeks ago now. And we were in Orlando visiting my sister and we went to church with them, to their church, and we met a a great guy named Michael Beats. You remember uh-huh. meeting Michael and his family, and he has a daughter with severe uh, disabilities. Um, she has so many disabilities that that's the diagnosis. Really? Severe disabilities. Um, but anyways, Michael has, or Dr. Beats, I should say, has written a book called Disability in the Gospel. It's published by Crossway. And I read um, or heard him talk about this verse from Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. And, um, and I never, as much as I'd read this chapter, 
this had never hopped popped out at me before. This is where God's calling Moses at the burning bush. Uh-huh. And of course, Moses is making the excuse that he can't talk well. So yeah. he can't go to Pharaoh. And this is what God says in Exodus 4.11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And so I think the ultimate answer to it's going to be okay is it's going to be okay because this is the Lord. The, he has done this in a way that we can't fully understand, but he's done it for his glory. And therefore he is in control and we trust him through it all. I'm just over here crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying much because I'm just crying. Yeah. <laughs> so just to conclude, someone's out there. They have a toddler that they're concerned about. What do they what do they need to hear right now? Other than everything else we've talked about in the last 40 minutes or whatever it's been. Um, don't be afraid to seek a diagnosis. When, when we were seeking to, to Jude's diagnosis, one of the most helpful things that somebody said to me was, this is not, this is not putting him in a box and it's not limiting him by this diagnosis. It's opening doors for him to get services that he yeah. needs that can help him. And he, he has uh, Kentucky. I'm sure other, other States too, but Kentucky has an incredible program called the Michelle P waiver that pays for Jude to have therapists in our home up to 40 hours a week. And it's been Invaluable. The only way a diagnosis will put a child in a box is if you let that diagnosis put a child in the box and think that's all they are. Right. But really what it does is it opens the doors to all the incredible services that are out there. To help them. To help them. Reach their full potential. To reach their full potential. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like it helps other kids understand as, as autism is becoming, unfortunately, more and more common, kids are, are becoming more exposed to it. And I think it helps kids to understand when we say he has autism, so he can't talk back to you. Yeah. More so than a kid just seeing another kid act weird and think, oh, well. And just labing, labeling them themselves as, as strange. As weird. As yeah, or weird. strange. Yeah. 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 That To help other kids understand this is really something. And, and most of the kids that Jude has been around are just so sweet and fantastic and precious. Yeah. Yeah. We, when we were on vacation, in Florida and we were at the hotel pool oh, and, yeah. um, and there was this little boy about Jude's age trying to play with him. 
and your mom explained to the little boy mm-hmm. that uh, Jude has autism and so he's not going to respond to you in the way that other kids might. And that little boy just followed Jude around. He said, that's okay. I'll play with him anyway. I'll play with anybody. Yeah. And just <laughs> and just loved on Jude's he sweetest did. little boy. And, and, and that that label gave that child uh, a something to a box to put a, to of understanding. Yeah, we just yeah. said not to put him in a box, yeah. like a, a category a for category, him to understand. Yes. Yeah, what was going on? Yeah. So, if you are still listening to this <laughs> podcast, um, we're just going to wrap this up awkwardly. This is episode three. And so you have enough episodes now to decide whether or not you like this podcast. (laughs) And so we want to encourage you to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for our podcast. As you know, if you're a podcast listener, the more reviews, the more five-star reviews that you give, the more easy it is for other people to discover the podcast. And so please go and do that. It's very simple, very easy. Just put five stars and say, we're great. Um, (laughs) And we are going to actually have a contest. Do you want to tell the listeners about our contest? So we have these super cool Gospel Life camping mugs. They're green and they have little speckles on them and our Gospel Life logo. And Josh has passed them out to an elite few um, other pastors that he's met and uh, some of the staff at Hardin Baptist have them. And uh, we would like to give one to a somebody who likes our podcast. Yeah, so if you leave <laughs> a review before May 1st, 2018, I guess somebody could listen to this decades from now, but <laughs> May 1st, 2018, then we are going to draw a name out of the hat and then we will mail you or give you a Gospel Life mug. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Gospel Life Go. God provides for the needs of Gospel Life through your prayers and gifts. To become a prayer or giving partner, go to gospellife.org. We hope you join us in glorifying God by growing disciples who make disciples. We hope that you live a gospel life.